Hope you have a good time studying the Bible. Everybody else, turn to Isaiah chapter number 65. Isaiah chapter number 65. So we finished out the book of John, and we got two chapters to go to be done with Isaiah. I went back in my, my archive to see when we started the book of Isaiah. It's been over two years. We've been working through the book of Isaiah, and it's exciting. I remember when I was interviewing the McGuire's to come and work here, we were going through the book of Song of Solomon, and uh, they were uh, watching that, I believe, from Texas, where they were living, and, and uh, uh, saying, that's an interesting take on that book. And then right after we got done with Song of Solomon, we jumped right into Isaiah. So it's been a little over two years we've been working on this book, and uh, all good things eventually come to an end, and then we'll be jumping into a new book uh, here shortly. And excited about that. All right, Isaiah 65. We're going to begin in verse 17. So find that, and once you've done that, if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 65, and we're going to read 17 through 19, and then we'll skip down to verse number 25. All right? My fingers are so cold, my pages are stuck together, and I can't turn the pages. All right, there we go. I got it. Verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Look down at verse 25, last verse of the chapter. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy, and all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. There's going to be a day in Jerusalem where the sin curse has been lifted. There will be no more wailing at the wailing wall. There will be no more rape or pillaging of the residents of Israel. There will be no more pain or sorrow. There will just be a constant rejoicing that takes place. In fact, it won't just extend to humans. It will also extend to the animal kingdom where a lion and a lamb will lay down and sleep together. And a lion will no longer rule the animal kingdom with a bloody paw. No, instead he'll eat straw like a bullock. And it's going to be quite the day. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray. He said we're to pray, Thy kingdom come. That's the title uh, of the Bible study tonight. Thy kingdom come. That's what we're praying for, is for the Lord's kingdom to come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Bible. And Lord, it is so rich. It is so uh, enjoyable to study. It's so practical to our daily living. Even a passage written by your prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel uh, some 3,000 years ago, still has great relevance to us today. So as we study it and seek to understand it, I pray, God, that truth would, again, just help set us even more free. And, Lord, liberate us yet even the more. Bless us tonight. Give us uh, an attention span and give us an appetite for the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Jesus said that we're to pray, Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is, uh, what is God's will on earth 
as it is in heaven. It is for uh, the Lord to once again rule and reign on this planet. And uh, we are to pray for peace in Jerusalem. We're to pray for uh, the Lord Jesus to come and sit on David's throne there in Jerusalem and rule yet again. I've got a lot to say in about 30 minutes to say. And so we're going to jump right into the outline here. So get out those uh, bulletins, get out your pens, and uh, let's look at the Word of God in depth tonight. Number one, notice a new relationship. Go back to me with me to Isaiah 65 and verse number one. Look at me there at verse number one. Notice letter A, the Lord's pursuit of the Gentiles. The Lord's pursuit of of the Gentiles. Look with me at verse 1 of Isaiah 65. Here Jehovah says, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. Now you read that verse and you think, Who is this nation that wasn't seeking God? Who is this nation that wanted nothing to do with him, but now they've discovered him, they found him, now they're pursuing him, and now the Lord has turned and said, Behold me, behold me, here I am, of whom is he speaking, who is this nation? Well, we don't have to wonder, because the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 quotes Isaiah 65, 1 and 2, and tells us who this is. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 10, and we'll let the Apostle Paul act as the commentary on Isaiah chapter number 65. Uh, Romans chapter number 10. Look at me right at the end of the chapter there. Look at me at um, verse, number, verse number 19. And again, the context of Romans 10 here, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then the passage goes on and says, And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And then we see how beautiful the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. All this is part of Romans 10. Then you get to verse 19. Look at verse 19. But I say, Did not Israel know? First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy. By them that are no people, and by a foolish nation, I will anger you. Now, before we read verse 20, let me remind you that God worked among the nations and was not partial toward any one people group or country. And then he called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, Abram and Sarai, would change their names to Abraham and Sarah. And then Abraham gave birth to who? Isaac. And then Isaac gave birth to who? Jacob and Jacob, uh, Esau and Jacob, and then Jacob would have his name changed to Israel. You guys are an intelligent crowd, all right? We're, I know it's cold. Is your brains, are they freezing together? Amen. Speak to me here tonight. Uh, cooperate with me. Israel, Israel would have how many sons? There we go, 12 sons. And uh, from that, we would get the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel and the nation of Israel, and then God would be partial to the Israelites, but God would say to the Israelites through Moses, he would say, listen, if you turn to false gods and you cheat on me, then I will make you jealous by pursuing yet another people. Look at verse number 20, and here we get the uh, Isaiah 65, 1. Look here, verse 20 of Romans 10. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. This is what we just read. I was made manifest unto them 
that ask not after me. Well, of whom is he speaking? He's speaking of the Gentiles. And the Lord would pursue the Gentiles. Look at Acts chapter 8 with me. Uh, rather, Acts chapter 28. You're in Romans, just one, back, one book back to the left. Acts chapter number 28. And look with me at verse number 28. And we know that when Paul would go into a new city, he would first go to the synagogue and he would give the gospel to the Jews first. And then when the Jews rejected, he would then go to the Gentiles. Look at Acts 28. Look at verse number 28. Uh, Be it known, therefore, unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two uh, whole years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So what did Paul do? He went first to the Jew, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And when the Jews rejected Jesus Christ, then he would go to the Gentiles and be well received. And so we live in an era and time where God has left behind the Jews and right now he is pursuing the Gentiles. And uh, most of us here tonight are Gentiles and praise the Lord that he has opened up his heart to us and loved us and he has accepted us. So we see here that Israel would reject God, uh, Jehovah God, and then God would then turn to the Gentiles, so was the prophecy of Isaiah. So we see letter A, the Lord's pursuit of the Gentiles. Notice letter B, the Lord's punishment of the Jews. The Lord's punishment of the Jews. So go back with me to Isaiah 65 and look with me at verse number 1. Again, uh, Isaiah being an Israeli prophet, look here, he says, I am sought of them that ask not for me. And again, uh, uh, just let me get this in here real quick. For millennia, the Gentiles wanted nothing to do with God. Wanted nothing. Now, I want to be clear on this because this was a confusion for me growing up. The Gentiles always had an open invitation to come to God. The the courtyard of the temple was to be for the Gentiles so they could come and pray and convert to Judaism and find their way to God. There was always an open door for the Gentiles to come to God. But now, but what happened? The Gentiles rejected God. They wanted to worship their idols. They wanted nothing to do with God. And they would push away from God. But there would be a time where we live in now where the uh, Gentiles would turn to the Lord. Now look back with me at verse 1. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me into a nation or the Gentiles that was not called by my name. Verse 2, I have spread out my hands. Here he's speaking to the Jews. I have spread out my hands all the day into a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. Go back with me to Romans chapter 10 and verse number 21. We were just there seeing the part of that about uh, uh, God turning to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. But look at verse 21 of Romans 10. It says there, but to Israel, he saith, and again, this is verse two, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. 
And so God says, look, I have extended a hand to you and I have tried to love you. I've tried to reach you. I've, I've extended the olive branch and over and over again, Israel, you've slapped my hand away. You've pushed me away. You've not wanted what I've had to offer. And so now I'm going to punish you. Uh, look with me, if you will, back in Isaiah 65 and look at verse number seven. Okay. Verse seven. So Paul tells us, Paul, uh, also a, a Jew tells us, he says this, this verse, Isaiah 65 two, is written to Israel. Look at verse seven, your iniquities and the iniquities of your father together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore, will I measure the former work into their bosom. He's saying because of the sin of your fathers and because of your own sin, I'm going to come down hard on you and I'm going to punish you. So below the Lord's punishment of the Jews, notice this, notice the parents sin. The parents' sin. Go back with me to verse number 3 and 4. And verse 7 really is the, 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 uh, the, the top of the mountain, if you will, of the thought, or the apex of the thought. But verse 3 through 7, verse 2 through, seven, verse two through 6, rather, build up to that. Look at verse number 3. It says, A people that provoked me, uh, provoketh me rather to anger continually to my face. Look at this. That sacrificeth in gardens. What is that? That's a grove. What is a grove? It's this wooded area, this area of plants and trees where you have an idol set up and you walk into this garden of, of a grove, this wooded area, and you get down on your knees and you bow down and worship a false idol. Again, verse number, uh, 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 verse number three, a people that provoked me to anger uh, continually uh, to my face that sacrificeth in gardens or a grove and burneth incense upon altars of brick. They built altars to sacrifice to a false god, which remaineth, verse four, among uh, the... Oh, pages are sticking together again. There it goes among the graves and lodge in the monuments which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things is in their vessels. Now remember, uh, back when this was written, the Jews were under a, a, a dietary law that has since been lifted with Peter and the apostles and the, those dietary laws no longer apply to the Jews. But in this time they were. They were not to eat they were not to eat pork. They were not to eat pig. They were not to drink certain broths of certain animals. Those things were completely off limits, yet they were doing it. They were uh, steeped in idolatry and nothing upset God more than the idolatry of His people. How do we... What's the parallel to Israel in idolatry... And something that we all can relate with today. The parallel is a sexual affair on a marriage partner. God felt that Israel was cheating on him by running and worshiping these idols. Go with me over to Exodus chapter 34. Again, hold your place there in, um, in Isaiah. Exodus chapter number 34. And look with me at verse number 12. Look there, the Bible says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest. You're going to go into the Gentiles' land. Don't make a covenant with them, lest it be a snare, lest it be for a snare or a trap 
in the midst of thee. Be, but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other god. Look at this. For the Lord whose name is what? Jealous. jealous. His name is Jealous. He is a jealous God. He says, don't you go into these countries and make some kind of a treaty with them. You go in and you destroy these Gentile countries with their false idols. And as you do it, you tear down their groves and you tear down their altars and you abolish that, those, those idols. And don't you dare worship those idols because I am a jealous God. How many here have ever experienced the jealousy of another person? All right, you don't have to raise your hand. But you've seen a jealous spouse, all right? I've experienced a jealous spouse. That's because when you're good looking, you know, you just, that's just something you got to, amen. Um, but uh, you ever dealt with a jealous spouse? You ever had a jealous boyfriend or girlfriend back in the day? God says, my name is jealous. You go fooling around with idols, you're going to find out just how jealous I am. And so now God is going to punish the Jewish people. Why? Because their parents were steeped in idolatry. But go back with me to Isaiah 65, and we'll see that that's not the only reason why God's going to punish them, because of the idolatry of their parents. They have their own sins. Look at verse 5. We see here their own sanctimony. Their own sanctimony. And when I use that word sanctimony, you've heard of someone being sanctimonious? That, that's the idea of being a, a total hypocrite or a holier than thou. We're going to find, how many of you ever heard someone say, oh, he, he's, he's a holier than thou, all right? That phrase comes right out of Isaiah 65. Look here at verse number five. Which say, stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. There it is, right in the Bible, all right? These are, uh, thou, uh, this is what God says, these are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense. That's punish. Even recompense into their bosom. Now, you ever sat around a campfire? Maybe you had a, a fire in the backyard, some kind of a bonfire, you had some kind of a, a fire pit in your backyard, and and the wind gets blowing and the smoke gets blown right in your face and you're breathing that smoke up your nose and what happens? Your eyes start to water and, and you start to cough and you get up and you got to move because you just can't take it anymore. We've all experienced this, I, I assume, at some point. God says, you're holier than thou. Sanctimonious attitude is like smoke in my nose. I can't stand it. Was this a struggle for the Jewish religious leaders to have a holier-than-thou attitude? Turn over to Luke chapter 18. This was a common occurrence when Jesus walked the earth. In fact, Jesus is going to tell the story about a holier-than-thou religious ruler or leader right here in Luke chapter 18. Look at verse number 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Now, is that not a holier-than-thou attitude? I am righteous and I despise you because you're not. Now, 
This is a parable, so this is a made-up story. But can I tell you that this probably, some version of this probably happened over and over and over again. Look at verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee. A Pharisee would have been one of the religious rulers there in the temple, a Jewish religious ruler, and the other a publican. So a publican would be considered a sellout to the Jewish people, working for the Roman government, collecting taxes on their behalf, and a sellout to the people. So the Pharisee stood and prayed. Watch how many times the word I is used in his prayer. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, as he points the finger, as this publican, holier than thou. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You see the holier than thou attitude here? I am better than you. I am better than him. Look at verse 13. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And we'll throw verse 14 in here. Wasn't in the notes originally. We're going to throw it in here. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. God says to the Israelites, I'm going to punish you. Because one, idolatry has run rampant through your history. And I'm going to visit the sin of your fathers on your head. The iniquity of your fathers. Because of this idolatry, I can't let that one go. I can't let that one go. And then, I'm punishing you because you have a holier than thou attitude. Now, before we move on to number two, I want to be very clear here that this is a passage written to the sins of the Jewish people. But can I tell you, the Jewish people are not the only ones that are guilty of idolatry and having a sanctimonious attitude. We also, I preached against idolatry Sunday night. I don't know if that sermon made any of you aware of maybe a little bit of idolatry that you have in your own heart. But I'm going to tell you, it's something that we all battle against. And I'm going to tell you something else we all battle against. It's a I'm better than you attitude. We have to be very careful about that. We have to be very careful not to think that somehow you are ahead of someone else in life. And don't you look down your nose on someone who maybe isn't as far down the road spiritually as you are. Two things on that. Number one, you're probably not as spiritual as you actually think you are. Especially if you have that attitude. Okay? If you begin to think, well, I'm better than him, you're probably actually worse than him because you had that thought. All right? And the second thing I'd say is, even if you are ahead of them spiritually, do you know why you're there? Because the grace of God has allowed you to be there. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you very well could be where they are or in a worse place. Sometimes I like to think about people who are, who are just broken by sin and think, if I had grown up through their shoes, would I be any better off than them? Probably not. So maybe what they need me to do is show them compassion and not come down on hard on them. And you know, we can be guilty of these same things. So we see God says, I'm going to begin a new relationship. Now, has this prophecy in Isaiah 65 about a new relationship, has that come to pass? Yes, it has. 
God has turned from focusing on the Jewish people to where now His focus, current day, right now, is on the Gentiles. Now, does God still love the Jews? We're getting ready to look at point two, and we're going to see that God has not given up on the Jews. He still has a future for the Jews. And if you want to study that deeper, Romans chapter 11, we'll look at Romans chapter 11 just a little bit tonight, but read the whole rest of the chapter, and you'll see that God has a great plan where He's going to graft the Jews back into the tree uh, uh, coming up one day. God's not done with the Jews, but as God turns attention from the Jewish people and placed it on the Gentile people, look at our world today. Look at where the churches are today. Look at where the Christ, uh, uh, the, the focus of the Messiah. John 1 says that Jesus would come down and His own would receive Him not. But you know who has received Him? The Gentiles have received and embraced the Messiah and made Him theirs. And so we can see that Isaiah 65 indeed has come true. Number one. We see a new relationship. Number two, let's turn our attention to verse eight uh, through verse number uh, uh, verse number uh, sixteen here, and let's see a saved remnant. A saved remnant. Speaking of the Jewish people, go back with me, Isaiah sixty-five, and look at verse number eight. The Bible says there, "Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not." Uh, destroy it not for, um, I lost my spot there. Destroy it not for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake that I may not destroy them at all. So have you ever had someone give you a cluster of grapes and you're like, these are no good? You know, these are gross. I don't like squishy grapes. I, I just don't. I, I think squishy grapes are gross, right? And they sit in the refrigerator too long and there's somewhere between that crunchy, snappy, great spot, which are the best. Amen. How many think purple grapes are better than green grapes? Amen. All right. Any green grape lovers in here? Okay. I knew there was something. Anyway, uh, uh, the, 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 the crunchy purple grape, and then it goes from being that snap when you bite into it to where it's just kind of mushy and squishy. And imagine you have a whole vineyard of grapes that are beginning to go bad. And the, the husbandman walks into the vineyard and says, this vineyard is no good. Now imagine that vineyard is the nation of Israel and the husbandman or the keeper of the vineyard is, is God. And he says, this vineyard is no good. I, uh, run the whole thing out and, 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 and stomp it out and get rid of it. And someone says, wait just a moment here. Some of those grapes are still good. And God says, okay, I'm going to save a remnant. I'm going to save a remnant. Look back at verse 8. As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one said, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, there's that remnant, so will I do for my servants' sakes, that I will not destroy them all. Some will be destroyed, but they will not all be destroyed. Letter A, notice, those who are righteous. Those who are righteous. Look with me at verse number 9 there. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and my elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. What is this speaking about? There's a, going to be a remnant of Israelites who lived through this time of God's focus being on the Gentiles, they're going to be righteous, they're going to be believing, and God is going to use them yet to restore. Go with me to Romans chapter 11. Let me show you this in the New Testament. 
Romans chapter 11 and verse number 1. All right, we were just at the end of Romans 10. Romans 11 continues the thought there where uh, Paul is giving his commentary on Isaiah 65. That commentary continues spilling into chapter 11. Look at verse 1, and we get an example here from the story of Elijah. I say then, hath God cast away his people? Hath God cast away his people? And by the way, to those people that think that the church is the new Israel, I'm sorry, Romans 11 completely throws that idea out the window. God is not done with the nation of Israel. God is not done with the Jewish people. I'm talking about ethnic Jewish people. You can't read Romans 11 and come to any other conclusion. Look at verse 1. Again, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin, Paul says. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias or Elijah, how, uh, how he maketh intercession of God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed the prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Remember that story where Elijah uh, uh, runs after he uh, has the, uh, uh, the, the showdown there on Mount Carmel against Ahab and the prophets of Baal, and, and then he prays the rain back, and then he runs back there into the city, and, and then Jezebel threatens his life, and, and then he runs away from Jezebel, and he, he collapses under a juniper tree, and he sleeps and wakes up and eats angel's food, and he sleeps and wakes up and eats angel's food, and then he goes on a journey back to Mount Sinai, the Mount of God where he sits in a cave and then he begins to throw himself a pity party. You know what he says in this pity party? I'm the only one left that loves God. Everyone else hates God. Nobody loves me. I think I'll just eat some worms. I just want to die. And you know what God says to him? Whoa, hold on, Elijah. You're not the only one. Again, look at, look at chapter 11 and look at verse number uh, let's see here. Verse number four. Lord, they have killed the prophets. Dig down thine altars, Elijah says. I am left alone and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to to the uh, to uh, there is a remnant according to the election of grace this is this is amazing he points back at the story of elijah where 700 men had never bowed the knee to baal and had stayed true to jehovah and he says just like back then where there were 700 people who did not came to idolatry there will be jewish people alive during the era of grace who will choose grace and choose salvation through grace, they will not bow the knee uh, to secularism and sin. No, they're going to stay righteous. They're going to love the Lord. And so who will be this saved Jewish remnant that helps bring about the reestablishment of Israel uh, for the Lord? It will be those who choose salvation. It will be those who are labeled as righteous. So we see those who are righteous, let her be noticed, those who are restored. Those who are restored. Go back to Isaiah 65 with me. I let go of that. I've got to get back over there. Isaiah 65 and look at verse number 10. 
man, the best part of the chapter is uh, is is coming here. Um, uh, but we, we're uh, we're getting through this part of it first. Look at verse ten. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for the herds to lie down for my people that have sought me. And so this righteous remnant will be given back a place in Israel where like the sheep are given a quiet valley to lay in and feed and be restored. One day God's going to take the righteous remnant of Israel and He's going to restore them back to their homeland where there will be peace. Now, look at verse 11 down through verse 16. And we get a contrast here of those wicked Jews who reject the Lord and that righteous remnant who loved the Lord. Look at verse 11. Look here. Uh, we see God handling the wicked Jews versus the uh, Jews saved by grace. But ye are they that forsake the Lord. Here's that punishment. Uh, ye are they that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mountain, that prepare a table for that troop, and that furnish the drink offering unto that number. Therefore will I remember you to the sword, and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear, but did evil before mine eyes, and did that wherein I delighted not. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat... But ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink. Speaking of those wicked ones that reject God, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart and shall howl for vexation of spirit. And ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen, for the Lord God shall slay thee and Call his servants by another name. Then uh, he that he who blessed himself in the earth shall bless himself uh, in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because uh, they are hid from mine eyes. He says here, there will be those who will be restored, but there will be those who flat out reject Jesus as the Messiah, flat out reject the truth, and they will be utterly condemned and destroyed. So there will be a remnant that will be saved. There will be a remnant that will be saved. Uh, the rest, God will part with. Now, I believe this prophecy to be uh, twofold. All right, this was written during the during the day and time when King Hezekiah was in charge. This was prior to the Babylonian capture. Okay, so I believe that this was first answered uh, when uh, this prophecy first came to pass uh, when Babylon came in and took out and destroyed the wicked remnant and saved or the wicked people and saved a remnant. But yet this is going to happen again, where those Jews who reject the Lord will suffer, and those who've chosen Jesus will yet rule and reign. So that gets us through points one and two. Next week, we're going to look at... I'll give you the, I'll give you the point. Next, you'll have to fill in the blank twice, all right? Brother Joe, leave point three empty next week on the bulletin, okay? But we're going to look at a, Ju a Jerusalem of rejoicing next week. There's going to be a day where Jerusalem is a city of praise. There's, there, the Jews will live there. There will be no attacks... There will be no sorrow. There will be only praise and rejoicing. And uh, we're going to get a good look next week of how it, Jerusalem is going to be for a thousand years during the millennial reign. And so we'll look into that 
next week and come back because we'll get to live through that as well. We'll visit uh, uh, the non-Jews in here. We'll get to visit Jerusalem regularly coming in and out of the city, but only Jews will get to live there and we'll get to enjoy that. Amen. All right. That's the Bible study for tonight. Let's not be hypocrites. Don't be sanctimonious. I like that word. Don't be, I don't like it when people are that, but I like to say that. Amen. Don't be sanctimonious. Don't act like a holier than thou. Be a down to earth, humble soul. Go back to last Sunday morning sermon. Let's have a spirit of meekness. Amen. All right. Good stuff. Read up on the rest of Isaiah 65 and come ready to come, come with, uh, let's see, come with a fork in your hand, ready to eat and devour the word of God and grow thereby. All right. Let's stand together. We'll be sent forth to serve the Lord the rest of the week. Let's ask God.